Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. How many of you remember that song? 1967. You know, it seems like yesterday to me. I was just maybe an infant. Uh, But today we have songs like that. Ooh, baby, I love you. I need you. I want you. And more explicit lyrics that I can't even mention. But most of the messages of those songs, even this one, uh, is really the exact opposite of what God would consider to be love. Now, you're all here today. It's Memorial Day weekend. You could be doing anything, but you chose to be here. And I believe the Holy Spirit has something here for every one of you at every season in your life. So I pray that you just bow your head, just take a minute And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, why am I here? What do you want to speak to me? I'm listening. Now, today's song is the book of Song of Solomon. And in the very first uh, line, first verse of that book, He says, this is a song of songs. When you think of that song of songs, that's the way the Hebrew people would speak about something that's the best of the best. Like when we think of king of kings and lord of lords, we're thinking of God who is sovereign, the greatest king, royalty over everything else. So when he says this is the song of songs, Out of the thousand five songs that were attributed to him writing, he's saying the message in this one is the best. So are we listening? And listen, you can say amen. You could say, yes, I'm listening. You could talk to me, okay? I don't want to be the only one talking here today. See, this is part of the wisdom literature that we've been learning about, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and now the Song of Solomon. It was written for the purpose of not just telling a story, but to teach biblical principles, life lessons that we can apply. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know if this could be Solomon writing this book about love. I mean, after all, he had a thousand wives and concubines. How could he talk about one true love? But I believe this is the ideal that he's talking about. This is God's idea of what a marriage should be. It was never God's plan. He created Adam. He said it wasn't good. And then he created the counterpart, the helper, Eve. He didn't create Eve and Janet and Miriam and Helen He created one woman for one man. That's God's idea. And and it's a sad commentary because we look at Solomon. He was supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived, and he forgot his own wisdom. And we look at the home life, the sad commentary of how these wives led him away from God. And the, the family line was corrupted. But I believe that as the author of this book, Solomon was teaching us the life lesson, the way God intended marriage to be before his sinful multiplication of wives occurred. We know uh, he married those wives really for alliances between different nations. And it was really for that political reason, but not for God's reason. So the time of the writing, some brief, quick facts about the book. 
Some say it is around 965 B.C. Um, I believe it was sometime during the reign. And through my research, I believe it was later on in his reign where he was re- uh, retrospectively looking at the failures of his own life, the, the mistakes that he made. And he was trying to teach life lessons to different generations to come. And that includes us. There's something in there for us. So there's eight chapters in the book. It's not a long book. But I want to warn you right now, there's some steamy love poetry that you're about to hear. It might seem like a random selection of poems, but boy, if you're attentive, you're going to see some meanings on so many different levels. This year so far, as we went through 2022, through each book of the Bible to be anchored in God's word, we see that the book, all the books are one unified story from Genesis to Revelation. And as we will continue going through every book of the Bible, you're going to see that there is a scarlet thread as well, where Jesus Christ is woven throughout every book of the Bible. But 30% of the Bible, of the Hebrew language, is in poetry. You know, that means when you take your Bible and you look through it, one out of three pages is poetry of some kind. A lot of people don't read poetry in the same way as they do. They try to read it in the same way as they do a story. But I'm going to show you that poetry has a different intent than a narrative. And poetry isn't just reserved to one book. Uh, The Book of Solomon is considered a book of poetry. But throughout even the prophets, they wrote in poetry. And I want to show you an example in Exodus where Moses tells a narrative, first in a story, and in the next chapter, he tells the same story in poetry. Here it is, Exodus 14, 21 and 22. It says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Pretty clear. This is what happened. This was a historical fact. Now let's compare it to chapter 15, the same account, but now it's written in poetry. Exodus 15, verse 8. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. You see the difference? One, you can experience it. Stories describe what happened. Poetry invites the reader to experience it. It ignites your imagination through verbal art. And that's the purpose of poetry. Now, we're in in the West, we're used to a certain kind of poetry. You know, like this poem. How many have ever heard this one? Roses are red. You can say it with me. Violets are blue. Sugar is sweet. And so are you. We're used to this. It's it's got cadence. It's got meter. It's got rhyme. Bump, 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 right? But poems are not like this in the Bible. Biblical poems are what we call free verse. And I know there's a lot of free verse going on there. A shout out to my daughter over there who does free verse. But they don't use meter like some traditions of poetry. They don't use rhyme in the same way either. Biblical poets, as we looked at Proverbs, they use repetition, okay? In many poems, you'll see a repeated line. It's called a refrain, something that's repeated, a theme throughout the entire poem. So here's what I want you to understand before we even dive into the Song of Songs, which is a book of poetry. Poetry does not just convey information. It invites us to experience it with our imagination. And it uses creative imagery called metaphorical language. Some things are easy to understand. Other things 
We use metaphors to understand. And here's an example. How many people like feeling cold? Sub-degree weather. I have one person. Okay, a couple people. But for the most part, being cold is a bad feeling. We don't like the feeling. It hurts. Well, we apply that to, that's a concrete thing. We apply that to an intangible feeling, like um, like she gave me the cold shoulder, right? That's a bad feeling too. Or, oh, that answer was so cold, you know, without feeling, right? That's, so we, that's what metaphorical language does. And it's not just bad things. And we could say the same thing about warmth. That's a good feeling to be warm. Uh, she has a warm heart, right? So we take these these ideas, we link them together, and we see that it's an imaginative way to explain something. And we do this all the time, and we don't even realize it. How about this? Passion is fire. Right? You get the idea. Time is money. Life is a journey. These are ways that we shape our imagination, and it affects our behavior. So understand, before we dive into Song of Solomons, this book uses verbal art in such a way that the reader will experience it. Now, there are some differences on interpretation of this book. Some believe that all everybody agrees that this is a love poem. It's a poem about love. I'm not going to go into all the various interpretations of what some believe. Uh, Today, I'm comfortable with sharing the literal interpretation, which I feel is the most acceptable, and the majority of commentators agree. The Song of Solomon is talking about human love between a man and a woman. And it was this love, like I mentioned, that was missing from the Garden of Eden. God created this beautiful world And he said, something is missing. Something isn't good. And in Genesis 2, the Lord said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. And that word helper in the English English language doesn't even describe what that word helper means. That word in Hebrew is azer. It means somebody who you become better than what you ever could possibly be by yourself. It's a symbiotic relationship. Together, you're better than one. So God brought them together as man and woman. And in Genesis further, if you remember, 23 and 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And what did God say after that happened? It was very good. This is a very good idea. So some people, when they look at the book of Solomon, they say, what does love poetry have to do? What is it doing in the Bible? Romantic love, that's not a noble theme. Well, it was for the Lord. He created sexuality in the garden. There's nothing unscriptural about love between a husband and wife, and the Lord knows we all need to know what it looks like, the right way, the way God views married love way he intended. And and let me put a disclosure out here. Now, I'm looking out here, and I don't see any young people. But we're going to get into some pretty semi-erotic verses. Matter of fact, many religions, denominations, don't even cover this book. They consider it adult reading material only, and they banned it. I mean, you don't hear this um, sermon often. Go ahead and Google it. You won't even find much on it. But here's a short recap, okay? And then we'll dive in. Song of Solomon is uh, a song that begins before a wedding. The bride-to-be longs to be with her husband. She's engaged to him, and she looks forward to his intimate caresses. And she advises The listeners, which were the daughters of Jerusalem, which were the the young virgins, 
not to rush love, not to let love develop before its time. And the king, the beloved, praises the woman's beauty. And she's a little, um, she feels ugly to him. And he assures her of her beauty because um, she's insecure about her tan skin. And then she has a dream. She has a dream of losing Solomon. She searches throughout the city, and she looks for him, and finally she finds him, clings to him, and brings him into a safe place. And she wakes up. And she wakes up, and she gives advice again to the daughters of Jerusalem, and she said, let love develop in its own time, and don't force love prematurely. So on the wedding night, The husband again praises the beauty of his wife with highly symbolic language. Let me leave it there. And the wife invites her spouse to partake of all she has to offer, and they make love. And God blesses the union. And as this marriage matures, we even see a a tough spot in their marriage where she rejects him, and then he goes away, and they're separated. She has another dream, and um, she's beaten by the guards this time. And, and that's all about her conscience being guilty because of rejecting him. And finally, they come back together, and they reunite, and they're reconciled, and isn't making up a lot of fun. So as the song ends, both the husband and the wife feel confident and secure in their long-lasting true love, and they yearn to be in each other's presence. So if this were a song, a duet, we would see that it has three movements, the bride and the groom before the wedding, the bride and the groom that they profess their love and desire for one another, and the bride and the groom finally united. And we find the opening of this poem, which we're going to go into, Song of Solomon now. We... We see the young woman who's delighting in her man. She's not married to him yet, but it becomes clear that they're engaged to each other. And she can't take her eyes off him, just like that opening song. Song of Solomon, verse 1. The song of songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And now the king responds in the same way. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among the pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with a string of jewels, We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Now, you might think, a mare. Solomon is comparing her to a fully mature female horse, beautiful in majesty of breeding age. And you might say, what? But that was a high compliment because besides being a horticulture freak, he loved gardens He also loved horses and collected them. It says he had over a 1,000 horses. So he's comparing her. This was a compliment. Again, metaphorical languages. Solomon was thought to have owned at least a 1,000. So we see the poems flow back and forth, like a duet, back and forth between the two, shifting from one scene to another in like a symphonic uh, voice, a cycle. And one theme that carries throughout the whole thing is their intense desire for each other expressed in their constant seeking. They're constantly seeking and finding each other. So here in chapter two, we see the woman speaking. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. For one thing, apple trees don't grow in a forest. He stands out. I delight to sit in his shade. And his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. 
Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. So this refrain refrain is repeated three times throughout this song of Solomon's. And you notice it's talking about not giving in to lust. There's a difference between love and lust. Love can wait. Lust can't. So we see here romantic love involves a longing between a man and a woman with mutual admiration for each other. And, but we see restraint and we see purity in the relationship because the time and the place for intimacy is God's. See, to this day and age, this message has been lost, but it's in there. These are life lessons. Chapter 3. We see the desire intensifies. The woman has a dream. All night long on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I mean, she's even dreaming about him. I looked for him but could not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through the streets and the squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. The watchmen found me as I, they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him into my mother's house to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, again, the refrain, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires She's speaking to the daughters of Jerusalem. These were the young, unmarried women from Israel's capital. And she's given them wise counsel. And it's a solemn charge. She found true love. And the joy that comes with the, the re- restraint. And this refrain emphasizes that sexual expression, the appropriate time and context for sexual intimacy, is in marriage. God is warning us through the words of Solomon not to arouse passion until it's right to do so, and it's accompanied by true love within the marriage relationship. Anything else is the lust of the flesh. So let's continue. We're going into the wedding now, chapters 3 through 5, the wedding day, some excerpts. This is the voice of the bride as she sets her eyes on him as he drives into town. She can't keep her eyes off of him. Verse 7, Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, like perfume with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of a merchant? Look, it's Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with a sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its post he made of silver, its base of gold, its seat was upholstered with purple, its interior inlaid with gold. Wow, this was some wedding party. He had 60 warriors with him, all dressed in their ceremonial uh, blues, so to speak. I don't know what's the biggest wedding you've ever been in, but I, I went up online and I wanted to see what, you know, 60, that's a lot of groomsmen, right? But do you know, you know Snooky from the TV show? She had, she had a big wedding. I guess we're going to show some of those pictures in a second. Okay, 15. She had 15 bridesmaids and 15 groomsmen. Do you think that's a lot? In Sri Lanka, there was a couple with 126. 25 groomsmen, 20 page uh, boys, and 23 flower girls. And here we see a total uh, bridesmaid in total 44, 
Another one, a bridesmaid totaled 80. And one had, listen to this, all of them, there were 74, uh, six bridesmaids, and the rest were groomsmen. And another one, 79. And they ranged in age from 18 months to 83 years old. That's a pretty big wedding, right? 95. I mean, there's just incredible. And I think the Guinness Book of World Records was this one, 168. That's a lot. But here we see a wedding party. He's coming down with his limousine, kicking up dust coming into town like a Rolls Royce, plush interior, the wedding attendants, like I said, military ceremonial uniforms. And she's saying in verse 11, daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look. And she's really saying between the lines, it was worth the wait. Look at this. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on his wedding day, the day his heart rejoiced. And now let's look at it from his view. This is from the eyes of the groom. How beautiful you are, my darling. Starts out good. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Descending from the hills of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. In other words, she doesn't have any missing. That's a good thing. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David with his courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse in the lilies. Until the the day breaks and the lilies flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of incense. You are altogether lovely, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Now, let's just stop here for a minute, okay? On your wedding day, guys, as you stand up here and you watch your beautiful, radiant bride walking down the aisle, I'm sure these are not the descriptive words that were going through your mind as you saw and gazed upon her beauty. But in this day, these metaphors meant a lot to the Hebrew people. Modern readers can't really understand the romance here, but Solomon uses metaphors and analogies to describe his bride, comparing her cheeks to pomegranates and her hair to a flock of goats and her teeth to sheep. Strange descriptions, but the Hebrew people were used to agriculture and raising livestock, so it was very clear to them. It looks pretty crazy to us if we look at what that would look like. I mean, it doesn't do much for us, but they understood. Verse 8, we're going to continue, chapter 4. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Lebanon was a faraway country, and he's saying, You've been, we've been separated way too long. Come with me. Descend from the crest of Amma, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart. When he talks about sister in the Hebrew language, that's often referring to a wife. One glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and your fragrance of perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. 
She saved herself from marriage. It's very clear. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits and henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. These were ingredients that were used in making incense. With every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes, ingredients that were used for perfume, all the finest spices, bottom line, bottom line to, to him, she smelled good. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. And then she speaks. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Again, I have to admit that there's enough poetic imagery to put a blush on any face. And I'm sure that's why they have a 69-year-old woman given this message. (laughs) Romantic love and intimacy in a God-honoring marriage is the goal for married couples today. God presents through the book of Song of Solomon's marriage as something to be desired. And as you read these cycles, the tension builds and the joy and the attraction they have for each other, it's like a duet and it's spiraling back and forth. And it's all pointing to the mystery of sexual love. That's what the poem's all about. That's why it was adult reading only. But it's summed up in the last chapter, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Place me like a seal over your heart. A seal is something that's not to be broken. Like a seal on your arm. For your love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep over it. If one were to give all one's wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You cannot put a price on love. I love this version. This is from the New International Leader, uh, uh, Reader's Version. Same verse. Hold me close to your heart like a seal around your neck. Keep me close to yourself like a ring on your finger. My love for you is so strong, it won't let you go. Love is so powerful as death. Love's jealousy is as strong as the grave. Love is like a blazing fire. It burns like a mighty flame. One more version, the Good News Bible puts it like this. Close your heart to every love but mine. Hold no one in your arms but me. Love is as powerful as death. Passion is as strong as death itself. It bursts into flame and burns like a raging fire. See, this highlights the passion and the intensity of love. It's beautiful, it's consuming, and it's dangerous. Just like fire, it can destroy people if it's abused. When it's harnessed correctly, the way God intended, when it's nurtured, it's a beautiful thing, life-giving. It's the closest relationship that can compare to our relationship with God the Father. And when we read these wisdom principles, we can apply them to our relationships today. Ultimately, this kind of love satisfies that insatiable human longing to be known and to know one another. It's a mystery. It's a gift. Love is a gift from God. Love endures. Love overcomes adversity. Nothing is worth giving up on godly love. It's priceless. You can't put a price on it. And today, marriage is ridiculed. 
It's broken. It's redefined. But the principles found in this book, they offer godly perspectives on the importance of marriage, romantic love, communication between husband and wife, and the value of a marriage that endures. A lot of young people today, they think it's an optional thing to be married. They scoff at the thought of marriage because they don't have a clear understanding of what the love of God is. And to have a woman or a man, another person that God places in your life to love them the way God intended. So the marriage is based on God's love first and then on love for each other. Marriage is truly a gift. So you might ask, well, Solomon, he had a thousand wives and concubines. Why did God allow that if his design was to have monogamous marriage? Well, God allowed it. It's not the same as approval. God allows a lot of things in our lives. Doesn't mean he approves of it. Doesn't mean his blessing is on it. Solomon's marital decisions were in direct violation to God's laws. And there were consequences. Over time, he forgot his own wise counsel. Remember, God gave clear instructions for the king. No no accumulation of horses. Don't multiply wives. And no amassing of wealth. And think about this. These were designed to prevent the king from depending on military might or on having him drawn away to foreign gods or to rely on his own wealth. And Solomon broke every one of these. God allowed it, but it wasn't approved. It's never God's will that anybody sins, but we make our own choices. The Song of Solomon is a lesson to us that it doesn't pay to disobey. It doesn't pay. Looking back on his life, that's why I believe this was written later in his reign. Looking back on his life, he sees the folly of his life. Think about it. Proverbs, the first nine chapters, talks about lady wisdom and lady folly and the warnings of lady folly. Solomon, in his last week, we learned in Ecclesiastes, Everything was meaningless. I mean, he sought pleasure, and everything was meaningless. But here in this book, he, pre- he presents the what-if scenario. What if I did it God's way? What if I followed God's way of monogamous marriage? So the end of this book, it concludes open-ended, and that's the way love is. We know love continues to grow. There's no end. It's ongoing, it's continual, and it's exciting. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. I heard my husband loud and clear. (laughs) I believe that was Solomon's goal for writing this book. True love is more powerful than death. There's only, really, there's only one true example of true love in the purest sense, in the entire cosmos, and that's the love of the Father. And all of, to, towards all of us, he calls his sons and daughters. True love is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He took on human flesh. He came in the likeness of man, and he submitted himself to crucifixion and death. And the Song of Solomon, it can be seen as an illustration of God's love for his people. It holds out hope to us. Even though our relationships today are distorted by selfishness, true love is a transcendent gift from God. It points us to a greater love, which is the love of the Father. Just as God was seen in the Old Testament as married to Israel, and has he, he is referred to, we are the bride of Christ. He is our beloved. That's the intimacy that we have with him.
So how do we apply these principles in our life? Well, I want to first start by saying the Bible condemns any, everybody say any, sexual expression outside of marriage. And that includes all types of expression. The Bible doesn't condemn feelings of attraction. Of course, we saw that. They were attracted to one another. But acting on those, he does condemn. Being tempted is not a sin, but acting on it, the temptation is sin. Like any sinful behavior, the Lord asks us to repent, and he promises to forgive us. And by preserving sexual expression for the exclusive relationship of marriage, God gave it a unique power to unify. When we bear ourselves to another person completely, we, to that person alone, it's a mystery. Sex is the act of love, and when it's repeated, commitment is constantly reaffirmed, and trust grows, and as the word says, two truly become one flesh. And here's the practical application. Would you say our world is a little confused about marriage? The prevalence of divorce, modern attempts to define what marriage is, glaring, it stands in glaring contrast to Solomon's wisdom. According to Solomon, marriage is to be celebrated, enjoyed, and revered. Not avoided, not postponed. This book gives us some practical guidelines for strengthening our marriages. Give your spouse the attention he or she needs. Take the time to truly know your spouse. Listen. Number two, encouragement and praise, not criticism. That's vital to a successful marriage. And enjoy each other. Plan some getaways. Be creative, even playful. Delight in the gift of married life. And do whatever is necessary to reassure your commitment to your spouse. And that might include renewing your vows, working through problems, and don't even consider divorce as an option or a solution. See, God intends for us to live in deeply peaceful, secure love with each other. And if you're not married, don't, don't leave. Don't think that there's nothing here for you. Because remember the refrain, do not awaken love until the time is right. Three times it was mentioned. If you're dating and if you've been dating for a while, listen to this advice. If you're serious about a relationship and you've crossed that forbidden line, stop it. Stop. Repent. Commit your ways. Rededicate yourself to do it God's way. And if you want to live with his divine approval, you can become a virgin again. I know spiritually you can. I know I was 27 years old when I became a believer. 27 years. I, was, I grew up during the hippie free love period, if you could read between the lines. And I rededicated my heart to the Lord. I put a stake in the ground, and I became a virgin again. And my husband... He reaped the benefit of that. You can do it. Say no. Do it God's way. Don't make the mistake of giving yourself away. You become one flesh with 10 other people, and your flesh is everywhere. That's not the way God intended. 1 Corinthians 6 says it like this. Paul describes different types of sinful activities. Do you not know that wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, 
nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I think if you look at that list, I probably took care of most of that. And maybe you did too. And that is what some of you were, verse 11 says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God butted in. But you were. But you can be washed, cleansed, sanctified. Do you want a cleansing today? Hallelujah. And I want to say we need to treat people with respect in regard to sexual orientation. But at the same time, we have to look at the word. And the word says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you'll be able to endure it. He provides the way out, but the choice is yours. Will you commit yourself to a life of holiness and purity and love the way God intended? Marriage is so valued by God. Ephesians 5, 31 says it like this. In the New Living Version, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way, the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The book, The Song of Solomon, celebrates the mystery of human love and the joy of the gift that he gave mankind. God invented sexuality. God made human beings male and female with all the hormones and all the desires. And it's God who sanctifies the intimacy that's enjoyed between husband and wife. I must admit, this is an unusual book in scriptures, but it let it shape you. Let it shape your marriage, your attitude toward married life and love life. The creation story and the sexual nature of human beings is clearly depicted through metaphorical language in this book. It guards carefully the mystery of love, the mystery of sex, because God doesn't want the unifying possibility of man and woman becoming one to be lost. So I thought about how I could possibly end this. You know, there's many people here. I know your backgrounds. I know your situations. I just pray that this message, as I prayed in the beginning, would speak to your heart and that you would apply. And I hope we get inundated in our office with phone calls, especially from the young people. I want to get married. I want to do the right thing. I put it off too long. And others, others might be saying, this is wrong. I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to renew my commitment to the Lord and become a virgin again. I'm not going to give myself away anymore. I'm going to do it your way. And God promises, he promises when you do it his way, that it's the best way. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, for the sanctity of marriage. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, for this this book that you penned through Solomon, the wisdom through it. Lord, I pray for every person here. Lord, for those who are unmarried, Lord, that they would understand that restraint and purity is your design and your intention, God. That, that from this day forward, Lord, 
they would commit themselves to do it your way. Lord, I pray for the young couples, Lord God, who may have crossed the line. I pray, Lord God, that you convict them to do it your way, to commit their hearts to you first, Lord God, because it's the love of the Father first through Jesus Christ the Son. And then you can bless the union of husband and wife. Lord God, I pray for them. I pray for those who may be divorced, Lord God. They may have made those mistakes as Solomon did. But from this day, they are committing it, their lives to do it your way. Your will and your way in their life from this day forward, God. Lord, we thank you that this is Memorial Day. Lord, let it be a Memorial Day for everyone here, that they crucified their flesh. They no longer are living by the lust of the flesh. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ. Lord God, that we could be cleansed and washed and made new. To everyone, Lord, who would commit their hearts to you, And confess with your mouth, Jesus, that you are Lord, that you have been risen from the dead. If they would put their trust in you, Lord, that you would receive them and forgive them and lead them in the path of righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If anyone wants to come up afterwards and pray. Uh, A few of the leaders will be here to just pray with you, okay? If you're confused or if you need prayer, I'm here, and I'm going to ask Jose Santiago and my husband to come up here as well. And Gina, would you come up too? Okay, God bless you all. Have a great weekend. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.